0: stuff. Well, if you weren't here last week, New Year, let's see you. I hope you had a good start to 2023. Uh, we started last week, if you were here, uh, just uh, having a, well, it was a really sweet time. Of uh, We really um, just laboured the Lord's Supper. We gathered around the table and we took turns and just giving thanks to God for various things, looking back across last year and just reflecting on various evidences of grace. And it was a really sweet time of just thanksgiving. And we we mentioned as we walked through Isaiah twelve, really finishing off our Advent series last week, that that we should never forget as God's people the privilege of it is that it is of being able to to commune with God. If you remember the last verse of Isaiah 12, Isaiah looks forward. He has a vision of God's people gathering, like we're gathering today, and he sees God in the midst of his people. I remember we said what a privilege that is to know that the spirit of God dwells with his people, that he is literally here now. And we say this a lot and we say it a lot because it's so important and we forget What a sweet truth that is. What a sweet privilege it is. The great in our midst is the Holy One of Israel. That's what Isaiah said. He is here now. And what really stirred our thanksgiving last week was to remember how that comes about. How it is that God is dwelling here right now. How it is that we, through our union with God, through the Spirit, how we are with God present now. And it comes about, as we saw in Isaiah 12, through the finished work of the cross, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, his shed blood for his people, which turns away the anger of God that is due towards us because of our sin and instead directs it on his precious, innocent and blameless son, Jesus. And if that doesn't make God's people want to give thanks, then I don't know what will. But we had a great time last week of turning our praises and our affections and our worship towards God for that truth. God's anger is no longer directed at his people. It has been quenched through the shed blood of his son. And really, as we take time this afternoon to think about prayer, I want to remind us again, right at the start, of the privilege that it is to pray. Ryan's just said that. It is a necessity, but it's also a great privilege to come into the throne room of God, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, the one who is pure and blameless without sin, to come into his presence. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? We don't, we don't come in with fear. We come in boldly, confidently into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we don't just come in and stand there. He wants us to, to talk to him, to bring our requests to him, to come and ask of him. Like, let's never forget what privilege that is, guys. To come into the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus Christ into the presence of the Most High and to speak. Prayer is a privilege. I'm going to spend time just thinking about that this afternoon. Really just meditating on that. And thinking as well, maybe not so much of how we pray, but maybe thinking of why we struggle to pray. Because we would probably all agree, if we're Christians, that prayer is important. We would probably all agree that we should pray. I think all of us would probably, if if I asked you know, who in here wants to pray more and grow in their prayer life, I think all of us would probably put our hand up, right? But when it comes to it, I think all of us struggle. We struggle to pray. We all want to be able to pray more. We all want to be able to grow in our culture, our rhythm of prayer. So what is it that stops us? What is it that hinders us? Well, we're going to spend some time just thinking about what that is and really looking to God in his word to help us understand that a little bit more. A few weeks ago you might have seen in the press uh, the results of last year's census came out so all of us if you live in a house filled out the census. If you didn't they're coming for you, just be warned. And we filled out a census, a census and every 10 years, if you don't know what a census is, um, uh, the government just find out what the, what's going on in society, like where we're, where we're at as, as a country in England and Wales. And one of the standout statistics that a lot of the press jumped on was the seeming decline of Christianity. So the first time ever since they started taking censuses, the first time ever, less than 50% of the country now identify as being Christian or identify with a Christian faith. That's significant. In the last 10 years, the last census would have been um, 11 years back, 2011. um, Since then, over 13% less people would say, you know, comfortably that they identify with being Christian. Now we know that even 50, 50%, that's not a true statistic. We know that. Like this room will be filled. Every church in the country will be filled if that's true. But even so, that's a significant thing, isn't it? To see what looks like the decline of the church. And the press jump on it and they say, well, there you go. Christianity has had its day. The story of Jesus, the gospel, wherever you want to call it, it's now irrelevant. No one's interested anymore. It's outdated. The church is declining. That's what they see. But that isn't how history tells the story. Yes, there are ups and downs in the Christian faith. We see that as we look back in history. But the Christian faith is not declining, folks. The church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ, is not dying. It isn't irrelevant. If we look back in history, what we can see is that God has, does, and is, and will. He moves in incredible and impossible ways. And in fact, it's often when things look at their bleakest, when we look out in society and we see what looks like decline or what looks like people disengaging with the church or what looks like people being less interested in Jesus and the church and the things of Jesus. It's often in those bleakest moments in society that you see revival and renewal break through. It is. If you look back at history. And the reason is because as God's people look out and they see people becoming less interested in the gospel and and, and more disconnected with the church, God's people look out and they're helpless to do anything in and of themselves. So what they resort to is getting on their knees and praying and crying out to God. And asking him to come and do the impossible work. And asking him to come and awaken the heart of those who are lost outside of these doors. And asking him to break through into our cities and our towns with renewal and revival. That's what you see in history. It is in these bleak moments, maybe when the census says stuff like it's saying now, that God's people realise that we need him more and more and we throw ourselves onto him in prayer. Maybe that's the moment that we're in now. I know a lot of us, as we come in here on Sunday, we long for more people to be here, don't we? And some of us get frustrated with it. There's empty seats. The people who've been haven't come back and, and we can feel that angst building up in us. And maybe as we feel that, folks, just like times before in history, maybe the necessity of prayer for us as a church is more apparent than ever. Actually, what you see in the Christian life as you look back in history is that prayer is a constant in the Christian life. It's a constant and it's a priority. And it always has been for those who model the Christian life well, prayer is a constant and it is a priority. If you look at Jesus, like if you want to follow anyone, right? If you look back in history and think, okay, who do we want to model ourselves on as Christians? Like he's the guy. If we look at Jesus and see how he lived and how he followed his father, what we see is someone who prioritised prayer. Someone who saw that prayer was a necessity. Someone who depended on prayer. Look at these verses here that we've got on the screen. Matthew 14 verse 23. Talking of Jesus. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Mark 6, 46, after he had taken leave of them, that was him being with the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 6, verse 12, in these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and all night, get that? It's a challenge, right? All night, he continued in prayer to God. And how about this one? Mark 1, 35, and rising very early in the morning. Some of us don't know what that is. It's a time before the sun comes up. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5, verse 16. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. More than anyone, Jesus is the model for kingdom living. And what we see in his life is someone who prioritizes prayer. And you know what's fascinating? It's particularly about these last few verses that we see. And we could put more up there. It's interesting. As Jesus is is going about his ministry, there are lost people all around him. There is brokenness all around him. Just like today. He walked down Lark Lane. There are lost people everywhere. There are broken people everywhere. There's spiritual need all around us. And it was the same in Jesus' day. But what's fascinating is there are times when Jesus says no to the crowds so he can go and pray. He prioritizes time with his Father. It is most necessary for him that he is willing to push away the disciples sometimes and leave the crowds so he can go and speak. And listen to his father. And it's not just Jesus. When we get into the book of Acts. And we see the apostles gathering together. This early church. And forming the early church. And building the principles. Of what it looks like to be God's church. We see them do the same. They prioritise prayer. Acts 2.42. They devote themselves to the apostles teaching. And the fellowships. The breaking of bread. And the prayers. Paul encourages the church in one Thessalonians five seventeen pray without ceasing like that 's a sermon in itself, just to understand what that looks like what that means. Colossians four verse two to four continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We cannot avoid the priority of prayer in the Christian life, folks. When we look at Jesus. And he is the one that we want to follow. Remember, as we went through the fruits of the Spirit series, we said we want to be more like Jesus. That is who we are becoming more like. That is what we're grown into, the likeness of Jesus in our character and in our conduct. And so if we want to grow to be more like Jesus, we grow to be people who prioritize and necessitate prayer more and more in our lives. If we want to grow to be a church like we see in Acts, We grow to be people who prioritise prayer, who necessitate prayer more and more in our lives. And that's why every year as a church, for the last five years, this is our fifth year of being at Liberty Church, every year we started the first week, the first couple of weeks of the year, with a week of prayer. Committing as a church to pray. Setting aside the other priorities that we might have to come to God, to boldly approach Him to come into the throne room of God with our praises, with our thanks and with our humanly impossible requests. And we deliberately put this in the calendar. Like we could easily just say, guys, let's just pray this year. Let's pray more. Let's try and be a people who pray more. Like, and that's a good thing. But we deliberately mark out a week in the calendar and we put things on specific days and we create a guide to guide us through. We do that deliberately Because even though prayer is simple, like it's literally a conversation, that's what it is, a conversation with our Heavenly Father, even though prayer is simple, we also find it really difficult. And so we carve out this week and we help each other through the week and we deliberately say, right, today we're gonna pray for this, tomorrow we're gonna pray for that, next day we're gonna fast and pray for this. We do that because we find prayer difficult. The reason that we pray, folks, It's straightforward. Like, I don't need to do a sermon on that. It's straightforward. Firstly, God tells us to. And if God says do something, we should do it. Like, firstly, because he's God, and who are we to disagree with what he says? But secondly, we should know as God's people that whatever he asks us to do is good for us. God never asks his children to do something that is going to harm us, anything that is going to be bad for us, anything that is going to drive us away from him, anything that is going to stop us becoming more and more like his son. God only tells us to do things that are good for us and are for his glory. So if he tells us to pray, like we've just read in those verses, we should pray. That's why we pray. But we also pray because we can't afford not to. Folks, we can't afford to keep our mouths closed and our hearts closed. We can't afford not to approach the throne of God boldly with our requests because there's too much brokenness outside of this building for us not to. There are too many people who are heading towards an eternity away from God for us not to come and cry out to him to save. We can't afford not to pray, folks. We can't afford not to be a church who is dedicated to prayer and prioritizes prayer and falls to our knees regularly and pleads with God to have mercy. Mm-hmm. The reason that we pray is straightforward. And I'm not sure, uh, all of us who are Christians here, I'm not sure any of us struggle with why we pray, but we do struggle with prayer itself. And there's a number of reasons that, that could be. And all of us struggle with it. Like, I'm not going to do a hand thing here, but we all struggle with it. And it could be down to laziness. It could be that you're disorganized. It could be that you're apathetic to the needs around us. All of those things might be true. They probably are all true in our lives. But there is another significant reason that maybe sometimes we miss. Quite often, we find it difficult to pray because when we pray, we are engaging in a spiritual battle. I wonder if you're aware of that. When we pray, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. The verses will be on the screen as well. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel here, You get one of those rare moments where God pulls back the curtain for us to see what is going on in the spiritual realms. Like we see what's in front of us. We see what's physical. We know what we can touch and what we can feel and what we can experience. And I think, well, I know all of us are comfortable that there is a physical reality. Like if you're struggling with that, then you've got problems. There is a physical reality to life and you're experiencing it right now. But when it comes to the spiritual realities, often, you know, because we can't see it, because we can't maybe feel it sometimes, we, we struggle to see what's going on. And actually the Bible, or there is a spiritual uh, book of truths for us. Actually, it's very rare that we see in, in, in full colour what is going on behind the scenes. But this is one of those moments. God pulls back the curtains and we see what goes on, specifically when we pray. In Daniel chapter 10, uh, you have God's man, Daniel, who's serving a foreign king. He's serving King Cyrus, who's the king of Persia. And Daniel is praying. In chapter 10, he's interceding. He's spent weeks coming coming before God and pleading to God that God would, would bring about a renewal, that he would come and save, that he would come and revive the hearts of Daniel's people. Because they've grown cold towards God. They're they're walking in sin. They're walking in rebellion. And so Daniel comes and he pleads on their behalf. He intercedes for them. And he spends weeks praying and fasting. Pleading with God. Crying out to God. And nothing happens. Until at the end of four weeks. He's praying and he's fasting. And he has a vision. And in his vision an angel appears to him and says this in verse 12. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Let me just stop there for a second. The angel is looking at how Daniel's prayed and there's something really helpful just to see that he he comes in humility. So as much as we approach the throne of God and we come into his presence, we don't just barge in, right? We don't forget who we're going to see. Daniel knows that as he prays, he's engaging with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So he comes in humility. That's a good lesson. As we pray, we don't just throw out glib requests. We remember who we are praying to. We come humbly before God. Next bit, your words have been heard. Let's not lose that. When we pray, God hears us. We're not just throwing words into thin air, folks. The God of the universe hears your prayer. Every word of it. He he knows your heart. He hears your prayer and then we read on. And I have come because of your words. God hears our prayers and he acts on them. He answers them, every single one. Some of them with a yes, some of them with a no, some of them with a not yet. But he answers every single prayer. And we read on, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. Okay, the first half of what we just read there, straightforward, good lessons in prayer. The second half, okay, that's interesting. What's going on there? Let me just kind of unpack what's going on because we're probably all comfortable with Daniel and the lion's den and that part of Daniel. But towards the back end of Daniel, Tony's reading at the moment, he can give you a full-on commentary (laughs) if you want to grab him later on. The back end of Daniel gets interesting. It's a little bit sci-fi. It's a little bit like, okay, I need to slow down and read this carefully. Daniel comes to God and he's crying out to him. He's pleading with him to move and to save and to bring renewal. And after weeks of praying and seemingly hearing and seeing nothing, an angel comes to him. And this angel explains that Daniel's prayers have been heard and God has sent a message of hope to come to Daniel. This angel is going to bring this message of hope to Daniel. But on his way, demonic forces have slowed him down. And this angel has been fighting with these demonic spirits. So when you read the Prince of Persia there in in verses 12 and 13, when you read the Prince of Persia, some of you young lads, I know where your mind's going, that video game. Is that right? It used to be a video game, Prince of Persia. Not that. When we talk about the Prince of Persia here, it's talking about demonic forces, evil spirits. And so the angel says, I've been on my way to to bring this answer from God. We've heard your prayer. God's heard your prayer. I'm coming to bring this answer. But on the way, I've been engaging in battle. I've been trying to break through these evil spirits, these demonic forces to come to you. And I couldn't get through for 21 days. I've been laboring and fighting to get through and I couldn't do it on my own. And he's humble enough to say, I have to ask for help. Michael, this other angel comes and helps him out and they break through and eventually get through to Daniel. That sounds a little bit funky, right? But it's only strange if we don't appreciate that we live with a physical reality and a spiritual reality. And even though we can't see it and touch it many of the times, The spiritual realm that exists is as true and real as the chair that you are sitting on. It's interesting, Daniel, even he is terrified. But what is clear is that there is more to human existence than just what we can touch and see. There are spiritual realities. There are unseen, but they are real and they are true. And folks, the Prince of Persia, those demonic forces, the evil spirits that we read about there, they are still at work. Even after the finished work of the cross. So, at the cross, in Jesus' death, at his resurrection, he triumphs over Satan. That's what the Bible says. He's victorious over Satan's sin and death. And they know that. And their time has run out. And they know that when Jesus returns, they are finished. But they are still at work. The enemies of God are doing all that they can to frustrate God's plans before their final defeat. And according to what we read here in Daniel, they are at work when we pray. Here's why. Because God in his wisdom has ordained that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven as a result of God's people praying. God could easily in an instant do all that he has ordained to do. He could save all the people that he's going to save. He could restore all the things that he's going to restore, He could heal all the people that he's going to heal. But in his wisdom, in his sovereign, perfect wisdom, he is ordained that he is going to bring those things about through the prayers of his people. And so we can understand why the enemies of God don't want Daniel to pray, and they don't want the answer to Daniel's prayer to come to him. And it's the same today. The enemies of God don't want us to pray. Listen to this from Samuel Chadwick, who was a 19th century Methodist min- minister. He said this, Satan dreads nothing but pray. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. The enemies of God do not want God's will to be done, and so they will do all that they can to thwart God's people praying. What we read in Daniel chapter ten, what Chadwick reminds us of there, is this: the prayer of a Christian is dangerous, in a good way. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to the kingdom of darkness and the demonic forces that are at work in this world. It's dangerous to Satan's plans to blind the minds of unbelievers. It's dangerous to his ambition to ruin the church and keep God's people quiet. The prayer of a Christian is dangerous. So just consider what's going to happen this next week. We are stepping into a week which we are dedicated to prayer. And over these next six or seven days, hundreds, maybe thousands of prayers are going to go up to God. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for this community. We're going to cry out to God on behalf of our city. We're going to meet earlier on Tuesday morning online to pray together. We're going to meet here together Wednesday evening. We're going to fast and pray on Thursday we're going to end our week with 24 hours of prayer. Each person taking an hour to pray for that hour, then handing that hour on to the next person so we have a nonstop chain of a whole day and night of prayer. And this week of prayer, folks, it is an act of dependence. It's us saying, God, we can't do this on our own. If you have a look at the prayer guide, just have a little shifty through and you'll see some of the things that we're going to pray about. They are impossible. Absolutely Impossible. In our strength. And so we come to God, the one who is able, and we say, God, would you do this? For your glory and for the good of your people, would you do this? This week of prayer is an act of dependence and it's an act of defiance. We are demonstrating that more than anything, we want the will of our father. We wanna see him push back darkness and shine the light of the glory of his gospel into the hearts of many more people across this city. And we're acknowledging that God in his wisdom uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his will. Which is why his enemies fear it so much. If prayer is that powerful, folks, then it has to be our priority. Just as Jesus modeled to us in his life, we would do well as God's people to to build in regular rhythms of time with our Father. To prioritise prayer. To prioritise prayer together as God's people. And to prioritise prayer as we come just to find that quiet space like Jesus did, just on our own with our Father, talking to him, listening to him. And it takes discipline. And it takes sacrifice. But it's worth it. So can I encourage us all? Give this next week all you have got. Use the guide to lead you through each day, but don't just read it, pray. Prioritise prayer each day, make it your priority. And that might mean some nights you have to go to bed a little bit earlier so you can wake up that little bit earlier the next morning. Might mean that you have to move things around in your calendar so you can come here on Wednesday and pray together with God's people. Might mean that you have to forego a meal on Thursday as we take time to fast. Fasting folks, There's nothing kind of magical about it. It's it's doing without something so we can show and demonstrate our utter dependence on God. More than this meal, Father, I want your will. More than this meal, I want your glory to become more than this meal. I want you to have your will on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to do without this. And when you feel those hunger pangs come up, you pray. And you throw yourself in dependence on God. So maybe some of us have to do without a meal. Maybe some of you have to get up at the same time as the milkman on Saturday morning and fill one of those early hour slots. There's some left, folks. It takes discipline and it takes sacrifice, but prayer, folks, is worth it. You know, it's interesting in the Gospels? You see Jesus going about his ministry and you see him do some incredible things, turning water into wine. Imagine being at the wedding and seeing that. Giving sight to the blind. Healing the lame. Raising the dead. It's a big one, right? <laughs> and we read that and we're, we're kind of astonished and astounded at what he did. But the disciples were there too. And they saw Jesus undertaking all of these miracles and these healings and these, these incredible things. But you know what's interesting in the Gospels? they only ever come to Jesus and ask them to teach them to do one thing. Not how to raise the dead. Not how to turn water into wine. Not how to heal the lame. Not how to heal the sick. They come to Jesus in Luke 11 verse 1 and they say, they say, Master, teach us how to pray. Out of everything that they see, out of all of the miracles, out of all of the authority and the power that they see Jesus moving, it's when Jesus prays that they look at it and they see, wow, we want to be able to do that. We want to be able to accomplish what he is accomplishing. So teach us, teach us how to pray. And we know how he does it, don't we? In Matthew 6, he leads them in the Lord's prayer. And so as... I finish, I want to do that. I want to lead us through the prayer that Jesus uses to teach his disciples. I want to just slowly, just line by line, pray through this together. And start our week coming to our Father in an act of dependence, in an act of defiance, bringing our requests to him, making prayer our priority having our eyes open to the spiritual battle that we are engaging in, but knowing that because of the cross, victory has been won. And approaching his throne boldly, humbly, and expectantly for him to move. So folks, why don't we just close our eyes. I'm going to pray this prayer slowly for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, we recognize and know that you are our Father and you are holy. We thank you that we can come into your presence and bring our requests. What a privilege that is. We thank you that that is possible as we remembered last week because of the finished work of the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made a way. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that it is through our union with Christ by your power that we are able to come into the presence of God. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we come in clothed in your righteousness. Come into the presence of the Holy One perfect one the king of kings and the lord of lords your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven father that is what we want more than anything we want your kingdom to come we want your will to be done here in our lives firstly and we confess that that's hard sometimes because we, can't, we want our will, we want our way. And so humble us. Help us to trust that your ways are better, that you're wise, that you're good, that you are loving. We want your will in our lives. We want your will to be done in this city. We want your kingdom to come in this city. And so we cry out to you on behalf of the lost. We ask that you would come. We ask that you would save. We plead with you. Father, have mercy. Turn the hearts of those who are close towards you, turn them towards your son. And use us, we pray. Help us to go out boldly and confidently and open our mouths and share the hope that we find in and through your son with those around us. We pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done in our lives and in this city. And we ask that you would give us this day our daily bread. Help us to depend on you, Father, for everything. And give us a posture of thankfulness. Give us eyes to see what you have already given us, what you are giving us. Help us to see the evidences of grace in our lives and to to thank you for them. We do thank you, Father. We thank you that we have food on the table. We have money in our bank accounts. We have clothes to wear. We thank you for how you care for us. But we recognise as well that there are needs in this body. Financial needs, physical needs, emotional needs. Father, some of us have come here this afternoon tired, worried and anxious. Anxious you say that your people should cast their anxieties onto you and that you will give us your peace and so we ask for it we ask for your peace father we ask that you would still anxious hearts this afternoon give us what we need we pray and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors father again we thank you for the cross thank you for your people our sins have gone You have already forgiven us. Thank you that we have an inheritance with you, that we are welcome in your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have accomplished through your life, your death, your resurrection and ascension. We thank you that we are a forgiven people, a people who have been atoned for, a people who have been ransomed, a people who have been redeemed, a people on whom the Father delights and and shows his favour. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for the forgiveness which is ours. Help us then to be a people who quickly forgive those around us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we recognise that the Christian life is a battle. So equip us for it, we pray. Help us not to be rash and foolish with the things that we do. Even as we pray, help us to have our eyes open to to what is going on. Help us to come humbly. Help us to come aware of what is going on as the enemy will try and thwart our prayers and prevent us from praying. Help us with that knowledge to be people who pray all the more because we know what it can accomplish. Father, protect us we pray. Protect us from the world, our flesh and the devil. Help us to be people who are marked by purity. Who though we struggle with sin are constantly looking to the cross. People covered in grace. People desiring the things of this world and sin less and less. And desiring righteousness in your ways more and more. And we thank you that for your people you have delivered us and you are deliverance. And we look forward to the day when we will be with you, fully free, in your presence, work completed, resting. So Father, help us this week. Help us to be a people who prioritize prayer for your glory and for the good of this city.